All right, let's begin. Let me begin officially. Um, today is November 20th, uh, 2023. And for me, it's a big day because my family that got stuck in America is getting on the LL plane today. So uh, I hope my I hope their father, their wife, my daughter-in-law's husband, my grandson, I hope he'll get out for Shabbos. He hasn't seen the family since uh, that fateful day. He came. He got called up on Shabbos, and he. The next day, United's not flying. They were supposed to go back on Monday, so he called Elal, and Elal said, "Come to the airport, and anyone with a tzav shmona, we filled the plane. We can't give you a time." There were 28, 28 chayalim on the plane, and he said, "I think fifty crates of ammunition and bombs, mortar shells, etc., from the United States government. So we have to be thankful for that. Okay. And I can only say uh, to everyone, but first of all, I thank you. I received quite a few compliments on my <laughs> my viewpoint vis-a-vis uh, -vis demonstrating, etc. And I have, I, I do have a feeling from uh, communication, both in writing and both by the phone from America, that there is a groundswell uh, by a good people against what has happened. Uh, if I understand correctly, there's a big chasm between Agudah and the five towns, Flatbush, and uh, what's going on in Lakewood. I don't know what's all Lakewood, I doubt it, but it's probably only a part. But it is very frightening to use the term, wow, I don't, know, I don't want to repeat it already, it takes my health away. Coming back to what we're going through, I just want to mention to all my wonderful Talmidim and admire acquaintances, friends in the five towns, Teaneck, Beverly Hills, elsewhere, there's a big difference between you and, and what we're going through. Uh, you demonstrated, we're very happy about that, you went back to your homes, your families, your wives, your children. I have ten children at the front lines. Two got out for Shabbat after two weeks of heavy fighting, one from Lebanon and one from Aza. And um, I spoke with both of them yesterday, and just, these are not youngsters, they're in their mid-30s. Again, bye to their wives, bye to their children. One grandson, the tank commander, uh, so you might think a tank commander, two stories came out of uh, this weekend. Shabbat. One story was his children didn't recognize him, totally covered in mud. Not so much from the tank, but when you went out and even getting back from Azar Israel, he told me Azar is like Dresden after World War II. It's totally, totally wiped out. And uh, he was covered with mud. The other thing he told me was he finally understands the Gemara. He never understood. He referred to the Gemara where you get lost in the wilderness, you don't know what day Shabbat is. So there's a whole question, can you do malacha every day, maybe Shabbat, all right, it could be, or do you just start counting and the seventh day is Shabbat, and maybe you can do malacha the Rabbanan, but not malacha the all right, all right, it's a whole sugya. 
he said that happened to them in the tank. They were involved in battle hour after hour. They didn't know what day of the week it was. They didn't know that Tuesday was Rish Chaitish. It was Tuesday, Monday, whatever it was, whatever day. What, what day was Rish Chaitish? I'm losing it now. Tuesday, I'm correct. Okay, Tuesday was Rish Chaitish. And he said, and he's trying, the whole crew has been together since Hester. It's all Hester boys, uh, 15, 20 years older. And they've been at, in war, this may be the third or fourth time that uh, he and his crew are, are, are in a tank in battle. And he said, finally in communication with another tank, someone said to them, Chodesh Tov. And they said, what day is it? So they quickly said Hallel as best they could, and then when they daven mincha, they they said Yalla Yavo. All right, you don't have to repeat Shmanashi. That's not a showgate. That's Onus Rachmanel Gamre. Now, in speaking about last week in my introduction to um, the Litvashi Yeshiva world, so I made the point that uh, after World War One, the Yeshiva became much frumer. Well, what I mean by that, you'll understand a few years from now very thoroughly what I mean by that. But in the Yeshiva world, before World War I, there was always a hardcore of maskilim and young people who were looking for the big world and the big world was beckoning. And Loa Lenu, we have plenty of well-known maskilim, and I'll quote their memoir literature, but I don't have to go any further than the greatest poet of modern times. He's an example of what I'm talking about. And after World War I, that problem doesn't exist. And the reason, a Talmud asked me, and I explained last week, I don't want to repeat what I said, but a Talmud asked me, but Rebbe, outside of the yeshivas, World War I was the end of Shmirat Shabbat and and. Who could dream people? I, mean, I heard this from the Rev, by the way, as well, that Chilul Shabbos Prophesia you never saw before World War I. No Jews, maybe in Germany. Not, not, not to offend you, Charlie, but maybe in, in Western Europe. But in Eastern Europe, Chilul Shabbos, even if you, you, if you saw the Rev coming, you, you, you turned the cigar around and, uh, you know, the, 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 the joke is that they asked the Rev, can I smoke on Shabbos? He said, Bishinri, with the, with the light of the cigar in your mouth, the lit cigar, backwards. That, that was a joke that went around. After World War I, like the Chilul Shabbos and the breakdown of religious life. And yet the yeshivat became much firmer. You don't have any instance in Mir. I mean, again, when I say any instance, there's always the exception that proves the rule. But Mir, Slabotka, Tells, Rotten, take whatever place you want. You never heard of already someone being Mahalo Shabbos, etc., smoking on Shabbos. So I'll explain to you why. Yes, the yeshiva got rid of the communist literature, the Bolshevik literature, the socialist literature, the enlightenment literature. You see, the, in order to learn in a yeshiva in Europe, it's not like today. Today, every Tom, Dick, and Harry goes to yeshiva. 
We have more people registered in yeshiva, whoever dreamt of mere yeshiva, what do they have? 10,000, 11,000 students, endless. Lakewood, what do they claim? 8,000, 9,000, that, that, that's unbelievable, the numbers. All right, you, you can quibble and say, are they really learning on a level? Again, Lakewood is not the Lakewood I learned in. When I learned in Lakewood, there were 102 students, and the whole yeshiva centered on Rabbaran Katla. Today, uh, you have four Russian yeshiva. Each one gives a shi'a, I'm told, once a month. Am I correct, then? One more often. They, go, they rotate different, they measure. Oh, they rotate the they measure. Okay, fine. But it's not a daily shi'a. That's for sure. And uh, not everyone goes to the shi'a either. Me yeshiva, I once heard Rabbenish. I, I was friendly with one of the Russian yeshiva through uh, my scholarship. Wound up, uh, my postdoc work that won me a prize was on the Ridbaz, and he was related to the Ridbaz, and uh, we became very friendly through the Ridbaz's family. It's a story not for now. And he once said to me, when, he, when I stand, when I stand up, the Yavashiri walks out. And, and uh, I remember he was laughing, but all right, that's a comment. I remember I went into Hebron in 69, I wanted to see what's going on. A, a, a newcomer in the land of Israel, and I go to Hebron, the old Hebron on Yeshiva, it's before Givat Mordechai, and I'm so excited with Meir Chodesh, you know, as a kid, I read the Mashkiach, Meir Chodesh, Slabotka, the Alta, my own Mashkiach, Rav Lesson, I couldn't believe it, half the Yeshiva walked out when he got up to speak. Boy, was that a shocker. So, uh, you see, when you went to yeshiva, you had to be an intellect. And what happened was, all these intellects, like now they're dreaming, the Volkdemonstrative generation, generation X, a new world, a wonderful world. Boy, have we had a shock. Anti-Semitism will be gone. Minds joined together, liberality. Men marry men, women marry women. It's a new world, a new thinking. Oh boy, look what's going on with the women that were raped, that no feminist organization in the world has said anything. And uh, and in Toronto, and in Canada, if you know what's going on in Toronto, I think it's Toronto. They just fired a woman. They had a, she in public said there were no rapes. This is not true. It never happened. So you see, World War One, the killing, the murder, the pogroms, the intellectuals raised their hands. Moshe Emmet, the Torah Emmet. And all that garbage was thrown into the wastebasket. That's in the yeshiva. Medav Chabanakop, you have to have a mind, you understand? To hear, to the, when I came into the Rav Shia, believe me, it's not like... When the rub mellowed, I, I opened the door, I walked in when I visited America, I went to see Rebbe in the... University of Alberta. What did you say? It was at the University of Alberta in Edmonton. Edmonton, okay, thank you for cluing me in. How far is that from Toronto? Pretty far. Pretty far, because when, when I think of Canada, I know Toronto, and I know a little Montreal, but that's it. But I remember... In the, in the 80s, I went to see the Rav in, in 83, the last time I saw him in person in the yeshiva, because he corresponded, I saw him and I said, what person? I couldn't believe the crowd in the room. 
all right, maybe 20 guys were really learning. The other 100, it was just when they go out with a girl, they say, yes, I'm in Rabbi Soloveitchik's class. In my time, you had 30 fellas in the room, but boy, you had to be prepared. The Rav was a tyrant, a giant, and, and you had to be an intellect. So the intellect suddenly woke up Olam Sheker. But you see the crowd outside the world. Tell me, how does communism thrive? How many of you live under communism? How many of you visited? Yomo, you came at the tail end. You can't even start to understand what I saw in the 80s. There was nothing. I, 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 I write about this in Washington. I'm walking with Elia Essas, Malcolm, myself. I'm walking with our contact and going to give a shear in Moscow. And we see a big crowd waiting in line. Everyone should be working. And I say to Elia, what's this? And he tells me they're waiting to buy a kilo of oranges that just came in from Morocco. I thought he was pulling my leg. We then come to the other side of this big building and Ivan Stupan is walking out carrying in a bag, a bag that went out of fashion in America 2,000 years ago, he's carrying a kilo oranges, and he's so happy as if Mashiach came. How did the communists thrive? Well, bread cost two cents a loaf, readily available. They added vitamins to the bread because they knew there was not a good diet in Russia. Vodka under the communist, ready, available, minimal price, heat, Moscow was heated, two central plants in East Moscow, West Moscow, every building you walked in, outside 30 degrees below zero, inside, a machaya, like summer. Well, that's all the people needed. Don't rock the boat. The average person. Yaakov Avinu, what did he ask for? Lechem lecho, beged lilbosh. Yehudadov, one thing is missing. What is missing? Did you ever take a course in sociology? The three basic needs of man. Food, clothing, and shelter. You know why Yaakov didn't ask for shelter? Because there's no shelter in Chutzla'ar. Beautiful homes in Skokie, West Rogers Park, but it's all an illusion as we ultimately, unfortunately, find out. And uh, the average person, so he comes out of the ghetto after World War One. Money, honey, universities open to Jews. You can get ahead. You can make a living. You can live fancy schmancy. You don't have to live like a pauper in the ghetto. All right. Mendach Machalo sign. The store is open. No? How many Jews do we know that sold their soul? The store is open. Shabbos. Mendach Machim Panasa. Pikuach Nefesh. And that's the story I told you. Vic has heard of me before, but I repeat it again in context. I, I was told this by ear and eyewitnesses, my own family who was there. And then you read about it in memoir literature. 
when the sixth Rebbe came to America, and he already was an old man and suffered a stroke, and they wheeled him in, and, and, and the truth. There were ads in all the newspapers, Devas Hauk Chabad Lubavitch Nenf, anyone who holds Chabad Lubavitch close to their heart, come to the Pier Battery Park, the Rebbe, the sixth Rebbe, is arriving at this and this hour. And there are a few thousand people there. And suddenly they come down with the wheelchair, the Rebbe, his son-in-law of Guraye, the seventh Rebbe is still in Paris at the time. And my cousin told me, these were people who had been Hasidim in their youth in their childhood. They were Americanized. And someone started a Hasidic nigan, a Chabad nigan from the old home, from the Altaheim. And people started to sing and cry. And people went home. They told their wives and children they can never be Mokhal Shabbos again. The Rebbe's here in America. And you know my addendum, which I also know to be basically true, the wives looked at the husband, you want to be a Shema Shabbos? Okay, but you got to understand, there was no TV then and no computer. We're living in a different world. I haven't turned the TV on in ages. Any news I get, anything I want to see, it's on the computer. Saturday night, everyone went to the movies. My wife and I still make believe Saturday will say, Matzai Shabbos, no, where we're going? To the Archie Forum, the Lois Paradise. You don't know what life was like that. No, a lady had to go to the movies. And afterwards, she announced her ice cream. She had to have her hair done. She had, from 1928 on, a 10 o'clock appointment Shabbos morning to have her hair done. <laughs> that I can't stop. You want to be a Shemmi Shabbos? I have to go to the beauty parlor. Kenny, you know when the women stopped? When the kids went to day school and a kid came home. And said, Mama, you're shaming me, you're Mechalelet Shabbos. Oh, a mother will do anything for a child, less for a husband. Follow me? At that moment, the mother became a Shemad Shabbat. And see, that, that's the difference. Within the yeshiva, they were intellectuals. They saw already what Woodstock is about. Outside of the yeshiva, they were overwhelmed. And this is, doesn't conflict what I said last week. All right. I apologize. I can't help it. Torah is very precious to me. I have no other value in life. It's meaningful. Excuse me. <coughs> now, let's talk about the Vilna Gon. And the reason I want to speak about the Vilna Gon is very simply, we can't understand the Chaim Velazhin without talking about the Vilna Gon. The Vilna Gon himself, as you will see, was a very secluded individual. He had very few Talmudim, he had no Talmudim in the sense that we refer to a Talmud today. And he was born, this is something about life, you're born with certain abilities. 
He was born with genius ability. His years, first of all, his name Eliyahu ben Shlomo Zalman, known as the Gra Hagon Rebbe Eliyahu, his years 1720-1797. He was born into a very aristocratic Torah family. Reb Moshe Rifkis, the Begah Hagoyla, was his uncle or great uncle, I think it was a great uncle, and th this worked to his advantage, not only intellectually, but financially. Now, what do I mean by that? The Be'er HaGola was evidently a wealthy businessman, and he left an estate, and part of the estate became a charity for his relatives to study Torah, that they should have income, and if they have the ability to study and, and to study deeply and let them be supported. Uh, more than that, they're going already at the, at the age of six and a half, they say, he gave a shear in the shul in Vilna and people were astounded. So here you have a young man and not the only one. We have other stories of Gedola Yisrael and their ability at a young age, but already at six and a half he bucky with Shas and Paiskin. Then he went on and also studied Kabbalah. And the stories about him are legendary with the Kabbalah, and as I told you last week, a lot of these stories are apocryphal. We can't prove them. It's not that we have newspaper accounts of what happened. Today you can look up newspapers and find out information on the Rav when he arrived in Boston, when he's speaking, and what he said, and how the Balabatim reacted. You have newspapers. Uh, we don't have that from the Gons time. But this story has been repeated so many times that it, it must be accurate. And it makes sense too. And what am I referring to? When a person is young, he has dreams. An intellect, a gong, you have dreams. We've touched upon this before. Rabbi Noah Rosenblum, Rabbi Doctor, when he wrote his biography on Rav Hirsch, and it was not well accepted in the yeki world. And we now know that using the term yeki is an honorable term. We don't have to apologize. It was not well accepted in the yeki world. And there are reasons why. He didn't realize the full godlet of Rav Hirsch. And I remember speaking about it 50 years ago, 60 years ago when this volume came out. If you just go through Rav Hirsch's commentary on Vayikra, you realize how much this man knew in Shas and Paiskin. But then he makes the point and he criticizes Rav Hirsch that he had a dream that Chorev would just be an introduction to a major philosophic work and it was never achieved. Well, let me tell you, the Rav had dreams like that too. Remember I told you his dream was to write a philosophic set of volumes showing that all of Jewish philosophy develops as an outgrowth of halacha. Well, he wrote the introduction. That's the halachic mind. 
he never went beyond it. Morty, the reason is simple. When you were a kid, you wanted to fly to the moon, you wanted to be an astronaut, a cosmonaut, as they say in Russian. But life takes over. Shabbat, Kashrut, wife, children. You can't accomplish. I finished Gatsmicha. I had a dream I would make every Jew in America a Shemesh Shabbos. That was my dream. No, have I accomplished? Far from it. But if you don't dream, you're not young. It seems the Vilna Gaon had a dream to make a Goylem. We all know the Maharal, the Goylem. Gemara uh, <laughs> Sanhedrin actually imagined Adam Harishon in Gan Eden had two snakes. One snake he'd send to get uh, steaks for him, another snake he'd send to get good whiskey for him. You know, imagine you have a, a, a golem to service you. Wow, what could be better? I wake up 4 o'clock, and believe me, I, I, when I go out right after the 5 o'clock news to go to shul, Took me an hour to get dressed, to take my uh, pills in the morning, to shave, uh, to clean my glasses, to s- learn the three sedorim and start the fourth seder. Imagine you have a golem, you pop out of bed, he dresses you, he, he takes you, he brings you a drink to take your pills with, he brushes your teeth for you. Oh my gosh. So the, the, the guy the, the wanted to build a golem. In the middle of his efforts with Kabbalistic incantations, he has a vision and God told him to stop. Now this story has a lot of implication right down to this very desk. And I'll tell you what I'm talking about. That the Gon knew Kabbalah backwards and forwards. Later some Svavim were pointed, uh, published by his Talmudim, his lectures on Kabbalah. Everyone knows he knew Kabbalah backwards and forwards. But he never utilized it in a practical, temporal form. In, if you take a course in Hebrew University, or Barilan, let's say, on Kabbalah, so you come up with two terms, kabbalah e unit and Kabbalah Ma'asit. Kabbalah unit means the theoretical parts of Kabbalah. Yisrael, the right of the Kutchebedichu, Chathu, Vayakel, Soa. You can darshan, you can learn, but it doesn't affect the halacha. And uh, this has implications right down. We paskin like Beit Hillel, not Beit Shammai. I'll pick we'll paskin like Beit Shammai, it'll be an olam of din, we won't have to have rachamim, etc., etc. We'll paskin against Beit Hillel. No, that, that doesn't affect the halacha ma'asit. And this comes up with the Rav. I once got a call from one of the famous professors here, she's no longer alive, but she and in, in her time, was considered the top Rivka Shatzappenheim, top person in Kabbalah. And she asked me about the Rav. I said, no, there's no question that the Rav knew Kabbalah. He quoted it in Zagadar, in his Drashat. But it didn't affect the Ma'aser Kihuzah 
that, that's the goal, that's that approach. It's not what you're going to find in the Hasidic world. Hasidic world, you can have already mukubalim and uh, many overtones on a practical level, even affecting the halacha. The whole concept of davening shalom bizman. Who heard of something like this? I was walking to Mincha Shabbos, and a sea of Chabadnikim were walking to the Shulai Daven Minchamarv every day. Oh, What was going on? They daven Shachris in the Shtibel on the side of Old Rivka, but then they walked to Aharon, which has a big Kiddush room where we can fabrain in and you can sit 40 people. And what are you talking about? I'm walking to Shul a quarter to one. You just finished Shachris? You just finished Musaf? But you see, when you give Kabbalah, it's not ours, it's the Kavanah, it's the mindset you can have the umption of and by it vagan. In my time, he made Havdalah Sunday morning. Could you have a Sunday morning Havdalah? Well, what's going on here? And, and the, these, the Kabbalah overtakes us. Tfilin on Cholomoyed. On the, I always say the greatest miracle of Israel that no one puts on tefillin on Cholomite. It's Mamisha, Kibitz, Goliat with a miracle. But why don't we put on I don't want to a whole shin now. But part of it is Kabbalistic reasons. The Hasidic world already and part of the Svadic world. It's for Kabbalistic reasons. We don't put tefillin on Cholomite because we have Cholomite. The whole question is they could do Shatayom or not. And we hold this Kedusha Tayom with Hetam Malacha, but if that's Kedusha Tayom, you're not allowed to put on Tefillin. Okay, but you see, the Kabbalah can become very predominant, Halacha Lemaisa, if we allow it. The Vilnagon never allowed it. And even when some of his descendants were knowledgeable in Kabbalah, it was only on a theoretical level not on a practical, tangible, daily level. And that's the meaning of Kabbalah Iyunit and Kabbalah Ma'aset. Okay, now, there's a lot more to the Gong. That the man knew everything goes without saying. <coughs> he also knew geometry, algebra, geography, it's actually a textbook that a Talmud of his wrote, according to the Eidut, the Talmud claims that the Vilnagon encouraged him to write a textbook on geometry. And uh, this we'll come back to later today. This is, raises the whole question. Was the Gon a YU person? What are we talking about? Uh, secular knowledge? All right. The basic answer is the Gong was far from YU. But any general knowledge that helps you understand Shas and Paiskim, that you have to know. And notice applied science, algebra, geometry, a Ruven, uh, botany, biology, 
Hilchat Nita, Chutzlaretz, Eretz Yisrael, Gitten, Befon ein Nichtab, Befon ein Nachtam. After no geography, and and this is basically the goal. I'll prove it to you later. It's not important now. But as much as I love YU, I cannot agree with the YU Rebbe Talmud, and he says the Vilna Gaon would have been very happy in YU. I'm not certain. The Gaon may have been more happy next door, Machon Lev. Machon Lev already is different than YU. It's not a liberal arts college. It's science math, it's anything they teach in Machon Lev is something practical. My grandson, my son-in-law, my eldest son-in-law was a Machon Lev graduate many decades ago. He dealt with vision, with uh, x-rays, what would you call when they send up rays into the air to knock down a plane. What would you call those rays? Ultrasound? What's the word that would be? Laser. Laser. And and very practical. He later spends more than two decades in the army. Develops the laser f- at night sight. That's all has to do with Machon Lev. I remember he once came home, this must be 30 years ago, and he says to me, Abba, step out to your terrace. It's 12 o'clock at night. Today I am, I'm asleep by 9, 9.30, but I was once young. And he gives me glasses to look through. It's broad daylight. And he said, we've developed this for the tank, that the tank can sh- work at night. And within the tank, you think it's broad daylight. So you see, Mohon Lev is on a much more practical level. Could be the goal would be very happy with Mahon Lev. Why you, and this I'm letting out secrets, but it's no, no sin at my age to reveal a secret. Why you is haughty. I've pleaded with them, combined with Mahon Lev, work together here. We're campus to campus. No, it's not a liberal arts college. You see, why you views itself, Greek, Latin, and my time, literature. Well, way beyond history, ancient history, history of civilizations. All right, I can't complain. I'm a YU product, and I loved the course in history of civilizations. And I was amazed by English literature, how every professor could only find one theme behind literature. Three-letter word, beginning with S and ending with e- beginning with S and ending with X. I don't want to say the word. Put an E in the middle. And next week in Sunday's class, you'll understand that they were right. The professors were right. I'll show you. You can't believe what what we're up against today in in, in the woke world. So the Gon knew a tremendous amount. And that there's actually a safer on mathematics. And no one can deny it. When I learned in Lakewood, you know what they told me, Ben. No, to go and wrote the safer, I'd only be vulgar in the bathroom. I don't believe he spent that much time in the bathroom. Baruch Hashem, he was healthy. But uh, you can't deny it. It exists. Now, 
there's, there's another point here which is very fascinating. In the Gons time, you see, there's a time the Jew, Jew lived differently and a, a Gadol be Israel. So there was a concept, gain a rain in Golis. How to translate this is not easy. It's a whole concept of life. You see, each one of us is a big shop. I grew up in the Bronx. I davened in Yeshiva Rabbeinu Chaim Hoysev. That was the second shoe. My grandfather had a fight in the first shoe, Zerah Yaakov, and he switched uh, to a different neighborhood. Uh, they were all within walking distance. So I grew up in, in Arthur Avenue. Uh, it's a church today, if it still stands. And uh, I was a big shop in the shoe. A kid from our neighborhood graduates uh, high school, wins a, I won a full scholarship to college, uh, a Wagner scholarship, the mayor was Wagner, it was in memory of his father, Senator Wagner, and oh, the kid's a big shot, he studies with the Rav, uh, an 18-year-old, 17-year-old kid, studies with the Rav. And I can Yiddish, and he know I, you know, I learned Yiddish, I told you, in the seventh grade, my Rebbe didn't speak a word of English, I didn't speak a word of Yiddish. But all right, I mastered Yiddish, it became a native Torah language. Uh, you're a big shot. Ah, to be a big shot is not healthy. See, you're very self-centered. And that's not good for Torah. It's, by the way, it's not good for marriage as well. Um, some of our problems today that we're a little too self-centered. As an Eloi, he's this, he's that. Listen to your wife and forget who the heck you are. Shema Bekola, Sarah. And uh, so today you remain a big shot. All right, I was a big shot. Kenny, let's be honest. I was a big shot till the yeshiva kicked me out at the age of 23 and sent me into the rabbinate and I got killed that first year in the rabbinate. And today, how many years later, remember, it's not yesterday, I don't have an ego. It's all gone. All the big shot. Arois. Out. Gone. Baruch Hashem. Right or wrong? Okay. Yehudala. The gone, what did you do to avoid being a big shot? You went into Golis. What does it mean you went into Golis? You left home and you wandered around from city to city. You never told anyone who you were. What hotels did you go to? Every shul had a side room where people who were wandering, traveling, you slept. Food, all right. Shabbos morning, there was kiddish. During the week, someone had yard site, herring, kichel, tzibalach, onions in English. Shabbos, someone saw you, they invited you home. You know, you had that in Israel. There's some shuls, I know one shul, Yakar, they get up Friday night and say, Does, is there anyone who needs a place to eat? And then every Week they have families who volunteer. Will take two. Will take three. These, these are Jews. Jews, Torah Jews are essentially good people. 
So the Gon went into Golis. And he wandered. Zolki, Galicia, Germany, Berlin, Lisa, Zolki, these are places we know that he was. And he was gone, married already, left his wife with her parents, was gone about a year, we estimate, and came back. Now, you know why this is so interesting? What I just told you now is our version. What you'll hear in YU, what you'll hear in Panovich, Mekas Harav. At one time, Jewish Theological Seminary attempted to be a halachic institution. And they had a faculty that was greatly admired throughout the world because they had head of the Talmud department, Professor Saul Lieberman. And uh, Saul Lieberman, a giant of Torah, he was the Hansom's Ish, his first cousin, I don't know if you're aware of that, their mothers were sisters. And he once wrote something, asking the Chazonish a question, and the Chazonish writes back to him, you're asking me, you're the greatest bucky in the world. He was looking for some source. And the Chazonish couldn't help him, but he said, you're asking me. And the Rav Shalitman, and then he always struggled. It's not for now. I've lectured on him. And uh, my, my classmate, uh, Rabbi Dr. Professor, uh, Dr. Grach, whatever name you know, Chaim Soloveitchik, was very close to Rav Shalitman. And if you're familiar with Chaim Soloveitchik's epic work, Yenam, it's, it's more than his doctorate. That's, that the, the work... That will, he will always be remembered by in, in the world of scholarship, in the world of philosophy, uh, contemporary culture and sociology. Everyone will remember Ruption Reconstruction. But that's not the real, the real McCoy. The real McCoy is Yenam. What a piece of work. So I asked Chaim, Chaim, let's be honest. There may be 10 people in the world who can appreciate what you wrote. Said, I, I, I claim, I said, I'm one of them. I admit it. He was in tears. He was hugging me. He was very emotional. And I said, who did you write it for? He said, I wrote it for three people. My father, my professor, Jacob Katz, Yaakov Katz, Hebrew you, the little man who I got Bichot Kahanim from every Shabbos, who knew Kola Torah Kula, and Rabbi Shol Lieberman. He said, these are the three people I wrote it for. They will understand. And it's not just Janum, it's his earliest work, because he always wrote, you know, on Mashkanta and dealing with Goyim and Ribbit. This was his field of specialty. So Rav Shol Liebman gets up at a graduation of JTS, a rabbinic graduation, and he says, what JTS is doing is following in the footsteps of the Vilna Gon. And everyone, yes, he jumps up. What's he talking about? Says, what do you mean? The Vilna Gon went into Gullis. Do you know why? He went to the big cities where they had major libraries and he searched the Kitve Yad, the manuscripts. Mm -hmm. 
And that was the Lieberman's understanding of the Vilna Gaon. And I have to tell you, whenever you look at the Haggot of the Vilna Gaon in Shas, in Medrash Rabbah, and then they find Kitveyad, 99% of the time the Gaon's Haggot is right. So then you might say, boy, Liebman is right. He looked at all these Kitveyad, he made notes, and he corrected our printed editions in accordance with the Kitveyad. A sideshow on Kitveyad, let me share it with you. I just wish the Rav could be here and tell it to you himself. So, um, who was the Rav's uncle? The Rav's uncle was Rav Menachem Karakovsky. Whenever you see the name Karakovsky in America, in Israel, they're related to the Rav. Rav Menachem Karakovsky was married to his, to the Rav's mother's sister, to Rabbitson Pesha's sister. And he was the author of Avodat HaMelech, which we cry and cry. He only printed the first part on the Rambam. The entire manuscript was lost in the Holocaust when a good part of his family was wiped out. So in the Avodat HaMelech, a number of times... He quotes the rub that he asked his Ben Achiv, his nephew, we would use Achyan in modern Hebrew, to look at the manuscripts in Berlin and tell him exactly what the text reads. And I discussed this with the rub, and the rub's eyes lit up. I said, Rebbe, I found two times. I said, No, four times. Later, I came back to the Kolel. I had a student, uh, one of a kind, Joseph. And I said to the clouds, you, you remember him? I said, I said to the clouds, clouds, check the Avodah Tamelech, how many times he quotes the Rav, and the clouds comes back a week later. I was wrong, the Rav was wrong six times. I have a footnote in my work on the Rav, you'll see, look at it. I think it was six times he found where he quotes the Rav. But you see, this is a proof to uh, Shaul Lieberman that it could very well be that when he was in Zalkiyev, which was a center and glitzier and printing and manuscripts, and when he was in Berlin, could be, could be, he looked at the manuscripts. But our concept of getting a Rhine in Gullis, a little bit different than Rav Shaul Lieberman's concept. Okay. Fascinating, fascinating. The manuscripts, the Rav, his uncle, the Avodas HaMelech. By the way, the Avodas HaMelech was a very rare volume in the sense Reb Menachem Karakovsky was a Volozhin graduate, a big Litvish Talmud Chacham, and he combined it later with scientific Jewish scholarship. He had that feeling for Kitveyad. You understand? It wasn't pure Volosian. It was Volosian in Avodat HaMelech with the overtones, with the icing on the cake of Kitveyad, manuscript, what is the real manuscript, 
and it can have halachic implications. In my article on uh, uh, with the victims of the Holocaust, Kedoshim, I, I quote from the Avodat HaMelech and implications of Kitveyad and variant readings. Okay. At this point, the Gon came back to Vilna. By now, his reputation was all over the Torah world. No one was like him. No one had his knowledge. He learned day and night. The local community in Vilna appreciated his presence and gave him a monthly stipend that was more than the salary that they paid the rabbi. At least that's the tradition we have. So he wasn't a wealthy man, but Panasa, basic Panasa, he never had to worry about. Another relative built next to where the Gong was living, built a clouds. Clouds is what we would call today a shtibble built an addendum to the building. That's for the Gong to learn, to daven, minyanum there, and people who want to ask him questions. And this is what I mentioned before. He never had formal students. Uh, it wasn't a classroom. A classroom was a classroom you teach. It's a certain organization a certain relationship didn't exist. But there were brilliant minds that gathered around the goal and learned in the clouds, in the shtibble, and asked them questions. And he would respond, and in responding, it would be a whole sheer, a whole Hatsa'ah and a Dagon and his Shita and his learning and establishing Prapagisa'ot as we see from Hagat Hagrad, all of Shas, how to understand the Sukhya, intellect, depth. And all of you know this from everything quoted in the name of Dagon, it opens your mind, it takes you a level or two deeper. Not only did students gather around him, but later in life, and we have this from the memoir literature, you'll take Rav Chaim Voloshin, who was considered the top Talmud of the Vilna Gaon, and the Talmud in the sense, someone who had access to him when the Gaon was in Vilna, when Rav Chaim was younger, Later in life, when he went out and he was a rav, twice a year he'd come back to Vilna with a list of questions for the goal. It was a relationship that continued all of the goal's life. And the Chaim actually had a younger brother, Shlomo Zalman, who they say was brilliant beyond words, and he died young. They say he too was a very close Talmud of the Vilna Gaon. And then you have other Talmudim, Baruch Mishikl of others, Menin Aliyah later, 
We'll talk about that. And, and this was the goal. He didn't budge out of Vilna. He just stayed and learned Yom Vilayla. The, the people in Vilna, the Balabatim, looked up to him, appreciated it, provided basic panasa for the goal. He didn't budge. He didn't leave. This was the gong. The Hatmada was unbelievable, but we may be able to scientifically understand it. I'll come to it later. I don't want to handle it now. But you all know the traditions about the gong. He barely slept. Two hours out of 24, a half hour each time. And, and I'll show you the source for that and I will elaborate, it could be that is the secret to a productive life. Two hours out of 24, Elliot, a half hour each time. I'll come back to it. Now, the 1770s, by now the Hasidic movement is very big. The Hasidic movement caught on the Jews suffered. What we've gone through since Sinchas is unbelievable. And imagine if someone came around now, then good luck, everything should go well. Regards to Abigail, good to see you. Regards to your son. Do they have regular classes in Choriv already? Beautiful. Yeah, my, my great-grandchildren all have some of the classes are curtailed an hour less a day, but they're managing. It's a, it's a miracle, a miracle. 300,000 young men are called up. You can imagine what that does to, to teachers and the economy. Now, what, if someone would come along and a charismatic individual today and get up and say, I want to change the atmosphere in Israel, I want to improve, I want to change our attitude towards the Arabs, I have a solution. And can pick up endless votes. People are looking for salvation, if I can use a pedestrian term. The world was shocked after Shapsite 3, the fiasco. The world was shocked after the massacres in 1648. Very difficult period. Hasidus came along and said, you don't have to be a Talmud Chachim, you don't have to be learned, you just have to be pious to believe in Rebbe, believe in a Rebbe, what you can't accomplish, the Rebbe will accomplish for you. He'll be your intermediary with the Rebbe. See, this was all a message after the Chumanitsky massacres, after the Shabzai Tzvi fiasco, Jews in Poland, in the Ukraine, bought in with glee. Lithuania did not suffer that much from the massacres, and they hadn't done them yet. They couldn't buy the Hasidic message. And the Gong was frightened that Hasidicism with the Kabbalah Ma'asit, coming back to what we spoke about 45 minutes ago, with the Kabbalah Ma'asit, 
They're going to change Judaism. They're going to be like the Tzdukim. They're going to be like the Sadducees. They're going to be like the Karites, the Karayim. And the Gon became the prime rabbinic figure in the bitter battle against the Hasidim. He issued Cherem after Cherem. There was a professor Valensky at Hebrew U specialized in the Hasidic Mitnagdit Machloikis. Put out two volumes. I have those two volumes. I've quoted them when I lectured on the history of Torah in the modern world. You can't believe how sharp those Haramim are. Now, in the 1770s, and here there are various versions that happened once, that happened twice, but uh, I heard it from the Rav many times. Two of the greatest Hasidic leaders, who were Lamdanim of Hakim, came to see the Gong. Rav Menachem Mendel of the Tepsk, and as you know, the Bautanya, the, the founder of Chabad, two great Gaonim, giants, giants of Torah, Reb Salman of Zahadi, the Bautanya, the Rav Shulchan Aruch, they came to see the Gaon, and that's the only time when the Gaon left Vilna. According to the apocryphal story, which seems to be correct, true, he went to a suburb not to look at the face of these Hasidic masters. And Ant Kedei Kach was the Machloket. I need not tell you that this Machloket carries over till this very day. I have a Talmud who argues with me once a week. Why don't we put, he said, why you mismach? No, youngster. BMT, Talmud, early 70s. Why don't we put the Hasidim in the Cherem? They daven shalobizman, they did this incorrectly. They changed the Nisach HaTvila. Who ever heard of davening Nisach Svad? Many times. They don't eat in the sukkah and shmini atzeres and chutzmaretz. Baruch mevarchinin, yatev lo yat, yatev yatvinin, baruch lo mevarchinin, it's an open gemara in sukkah. We sit in the sukkah, we don't make a bracha. Ah, they have endless time, not against the chassidim. People swear to me that Rav Yaakov Kamenetsky said in the 1980s, that the cherem against the chassidim is still in force. The state of Israel, Rav Shach, mentioned chassidim to him. Abe, a hole in the roof. I'll tell you a story I've told you many times. I don't know if I wrote it up, and I think I don't want to write it up. It's Mamish Achilo Hashem. But 1980 was the last Kinesiyagadolava Gurit Yisrael that you will ever see. 
Yehuda Dov, they can never have a Knesia again. They just, the fight within is so great, the split within. 1980, the last one. Before that, 64, 54, 37, 29, 23. Last time. So there was a guy living in Israel named Aaron Rakefet. And Rakefet decided he has to get to that Kinesiagadola to see with his own eyes. He's spoken about 64, 54, 37, writes about it in silver. Yes, how do you get it's that Binyanei Huma. The Gera Rebbe's Chassidim alone filled the whole auditorium. How do you get in? Notice, I remember what I did. I contacted a friend in America whose cousin is the world Mankal Menachel Klali of Agudat Yisrael. And I got authorization as a correspondent of Jewish life of the OU. And there I am, sitting with all the reporters upstairs, being in a huma, looking right down. Uh, if you don't know the story, you owe me for hearing it today. This, the uh, Jack, will you revise that are you list, please? Yesterday I told the story of Rabbi Shmuel Belkin. It was worth eighteen thousand shekel. Kenny, there I am, but I played the game. I'm not a dummy. BMT boys made me smart, so I make believe. So they figured this dummy guy don't know Hebrew. I certainly don't know Yiddish. And the sergeants at arms, the ushers, Sadranim. I speak, I think Hebrew, not English. Sadranim. Six foot four tall, six foot four wide. You don't start up with them. And they're talking in front of me and Rav Shach walks in. And they say one to the other, Nemakuk, Isaish is Yastarangukumin. Mori, can you translate that? Isaish, who'd I talk about yesterday? Jesus, see, remember yesterday's year? At that moment, the Gemara and Babakama, the brothers fighting, the Kobin Tamid, at that moment I know. The split is inevitable. Aguda became two. Litvakim, Chassidim. Now, whenever that dummy Rakefit tries to make a case, please, I quote the Rav. Bullets, Nazis, crematoriums, gas chambers, they didn't ask if you're a Chassid or a Litvak. By now we have to make peace. All right, we have problems. I agree with the precious chef that a daven shalobisman. I don't daven shalobisman. But I argued with him. Saying heshi, what can I say? Repression. Mori willig. I argued with them. The Gong they quote. Rabbi Yaakov Kamenetsky. Rav Shach. Oh my. You don't know what we lived through. But this is true. The Gon opposed them rapidly. So you'll ask, Rakefet, how come you can have such a benevolent attitude? You gave two, two, how many years did I give him the Satma on, on this Lubavitcher Rebbe? Two full years? And, and, and the Rebbe's right hand Gabbai, Rebbe Label Gromer, said to me, Aaron, 
your shirim on the, on, on the Rebbe were the best that anyone has ever given, quote, end quote. You're entitled, you can go here and make your own decision. It's on why you tell it. I lecture on the Satmurul Verholia. Didn't just say he's an Apicaris. All right, we have our differences. But uh, how do you do it? All right. I may be right, I may be wrong. Who am I to argue with the Gon? Who am I to argue with Rabbi Yaakov Kamenetsky? To argue with the Rav Shach? But it's hundreds of years later now. What we have gone through, how can we have a Torah world without Lopatich? Just think. Yes, we have the Messianics. Fine, they're a disgrace to the Rebbe's memory. The Rav, when people speak in terms of innovation and, and certain women <coughs> and Shaloh Asani Isha, what I referred to yesterday, we had a very interesting moment at the end of class yesterday, once in a lifetime, with M. Samuel. Remember what happened with the... I'm giving a share on M. Samuel and his great-great-great-nephew is sitting there. Uh, Montag, Simon Montag. All right. I admit it was a problem. I know the Nodabi who this Chuvite lectured on it. I'm aware of it. But nevertheless, in the year 2024, it's time to overlook the Machoikis. Chassidim have remained 100% from with certain problems. You talk about the Holocaust, a higher percentage of Chassidim who survived remained from then Litvakim. And it goes without saying, I've lectured on it, I've explained it. Because a Litvak has quite, how could God let this happen? You know all the, you all know the literature that's come out about the Holocaust, philosophic literature, halachic literature. So the Litvak, if he's stupid, he walks away. Remember what Rabbi Mikal said to his friend. His friend says, what, you're still from? He says, so what, you are not from, you understand the Holocaust? He says, no, I don't understand it either. But at least I remained a good Jew. Chassidim had one advantage that we Litvakim don't have. We Litvakim were individuals. I'm a chutzpahnik, I have a right to an opinion. Right or wrong, I expressed my opinion yesterday on uh, what happened in Lakewood now. I have a right to an opinion. A chassid has no opinion. 10,000 eyes look at the Rebbe, what the Rebbe says. Drink l'chaim to the Rebbe. There's an emotional attachment which we lack. That emotional attachment enabled them with all that they went through a much higher percentage remain from. And you can see it, there's a video that won many prizes about 25 years ago, put together by a YU graduate, A People Apart. It's about Borough Park, right? I have the right title, correct me if I'm wrong, it's A People Apart, as I recall, by Down. And that video, one of the men, and the man who sponsored it and paid for it, his family interviewed, they're no longer, he's no longer alive, he died years ago. And uh, he's a chassid, 
came out through every single way. And he meets this woman in the DP camp, similar backgrounds, and they marry. And the woman who has more sense, being a Tehra the Gemara Nida, the woman says to him, I think his first name was Jack, if I'm not mistaken, but it can be checked out. The woman says, his wife says to him, Honey, how are we going to educate our children? They shouldn't be Jews. We'll give Hitler another victory. And they sent their kids to day school, to BTA, and the kids went back and found their roots. Hasidim. Bavar, I believe they came from. And the most beautiful part of the movie is the Hanukkah party in the parents' house and the children were BTA graduates, Brooklyn Talmudical Academy for someone from Chicago and never heard of Brooklyn. BTA, they're dancing with their father. Beards, payers, black clothes. And their father, who was a businessman, successful, normal modern clothes, Kipana, and they say to the interviewer, we see our father with a beard and payas as he was before the Holocaust. At tans v'yadgetans, father churban, before the churban. And you see, that's the Hasidic world. It says a great deal. I understand it. I admire it. I bow to it. We can't quote the gong today. And I'll say a little better what I heard from the Rav. And the Rav quoted, you find this in the Orach HaShulchan, in, in, in the Makabarak in his family's writings. We'll come to this in Makabarak come next, next week. So the Rav, they say very beautifully, if not for the Gong, Chassidim would have gone off the path. It's the Gong that kept them within. And it's very simple. The Gong's opposition, they had to shape up. They had to be careful. They were limited how far they could go. It's like where Mark Wiener worked in jails. There's a fence around it. All right, you go out, you stretch your legs, but you're limited. And the Gong's opposition and the Rav once said, he was half serious, half joking. He said, And we looked at him, we should be thankful for the Naturakata. And we looked at him, really, what are you talking? He says, Agurich Israel is always looking over its shoulder. Mizrahi is looking over its shoulder at Agurich Israel. You follow me? Each one keeps the other one in line. Agurich, who knows how far they would have gone. You can't go too far. Mizrahi, who knows how far they would have gone. When I came in Aliyah, who saw a Mizrahiite woman with her hair covered? Uh, you look over your shoulder. Today, can I in her hard to find a woman in Yehuda Vishomran who isn't at Sadeket? Hard to find who's not at Sadeket. So I, those... Those are a few words on 
Hasidus, the Gong, and what applies today. Let me go a step further. Uh, the Vilna Rabbinate. And here I also did some postdoctorate research. I've done some good things in my life. It appears, I think, in volume, it's in volume two of Rakafat Aaron. I, repr- I reprinted it there. It was published in a scholarly publication before. Um, again, you're going to be, I, I can't spend hours to give the whole background, but understand it very simply. The Gong was not the official rabbi of Vilna. He lived there. He was the most famous rabbinic figure. Reb Shmuel, who, by the way, was a distant cousin of the Vilna Gong, was the Afbeitan. Later in life, there was a homach in Vilna over a psak that Reb Shmuel gave. Was he right? Was he wrong? Balabatim. And in Vilna, they figured the heck with it. When Reb Shmuel died, we will never have a rabbi again. A formal takana. We have Rabbanim, we have the Vilna now. Who needs any other rabbi? Formal takana. We do not need any other rabbi. <coughs> now, we have a Baitan, and on the Baitan, the Av Baitan, willy nilly, he's the final authority. One of the members of the Baitan was always a Dashan, a Morate Sedek, and he also was the official Dashan of the community. That, by the way, is Rabbi Menachem Karakovsky's position. And a Moritz Sedek, who's a Dashan, we don't need any official rabbi. And that way we end Machlaikis. And all of you know there have been endless Machlaikot over Rabbanim and Shtelas and Balabatim. And right now you have Park Avenue Synagogue in New York, a classic example where a shul has split in two over the Machlaikis, who is the next rabbi, who will follow. Rabbi Arthur Schneier. You're up to date, I trust. Uh, if you're not up to date, go to Haravagon Google and punch in Park Avenue Synagogue rabbinical controversy. And you'll get in Park Park East, it's called. Excuse me. It's on Park Avenue. It's Park East, right near the Israeli Consul in New York, the Russian Embassy. What a location. And what a very fascinating machlekes. I could make a living lecturing on it. Why the rabbi, this rabbi was not good, and the next rabbi, why did he break away? It represents a sociological study of orthodoxy in the year 2024. But leave that for some other time. Later in life, the world modernizes. And in every community, in order to get funds from the government and be able to tax, you have to have a rabbi approved by the government. A shtut rabbit was called in Yiddish. That rabbi had to have in Lithuania a gymnasium education 
and the ability to speak the language of the land. And this was in Lithuania, was in Poland, was in Russia. Ashtatrov. Vilna never had a Shtatrav. They always respected the fact in Vilna they were Gedole Rabbanim, there's an Avbeitin, and he's the final word. World War I came, and Lithuania becomes independent again. And now they have serious laws that affect us until this very day. The state of Israel is Shivat Chevron, Slabotka. I trust you know what I'm talking about. If not, please, will someone come up with $10 million, get five scholars to sit for a few years and index Rakefitz Sheyurim? Yomo will testify, an important American scholar asked me this morning, when did you speak about this and when did you speak about that? And all he could answer him, the Sherman had index, maybe go back 14 years, see what the title now, it's Jack Levenstein has added much more to the Sheyurim, maybe you'll find what you're looking for. But coming back here, after World War I, you have to have an official rub. Well, who is the Av Beitin of Vilna, Reb Chaim Isaac the Achi Ezra, the Godal Hadar, the leading figure in the Lithuanian rabbinic world. David, if you don't believe the Rebbe, go and download the latest article on Hakira, rabbinic authority in the contemporary world, and you'll see who Reb Chaim Isa was. And now you're going to have a shtot rav, a state-recognized rabbi? And Rabbi Isaac Rubinstein of the Mizrahi ran for the position, was elected, he was a Slabotka graduate, a great Talmud Chacham, a gymnasium graduate spoke the language of the land and a tremendous machokat broke out that lasted until Hitler put an end to Vilna and all that was in it on a Jewish level, a Torah level. And that machokat was researched by a guy named Rakefet. What a story. The Aguda was furious. How dare you appoint a state rabbi of Rab Chaim as the Av Beitin? Mizrahi said, we, Vilna has no choice. You need government recognition. It was a great machlek. It divided the city in half. And it all goes back to the Vilnagon's time. The machlek over Reb Shmuel, the Avbeitin, Psak, something went wrong. Had there always been an Avbeitin who was recognized as the chief rabbi, they would have solved the problem all the decades later. All right, this is the chief rabbi who learned the language, overlooked the gymnasium, they could work it out. 
but they never wish a chief rabbi. And the Lithuanian Goyesha Kup could not understand who Rab Chaim Omsa was. And that's an unbelievable story. Endless Machleket from World War I to World War II in Vilna. He desecrated Rab Chaim Omsa's image. And others said, look, the government requires Rabbi Yitzchak Rubenstein, Talmud Chacham, Yereshamayim, Oraida Mizrahi, Aitnar Aguda. But we have no choice. Uh, who here has gone to YU? Yehuda Dov, yes, what are you ashamed to admit it, Yossi? YU graduates, Mark. Where does YU fit into the story that Rakefich just told? Morty, I'm afraid in YU today, the less knowledge you give the student, the greater the degree he gets and everyone is happy and yours truly is crying. Gentlemen, so the ignorant will pass for the wise. The next time anyone will ask you YU's role in the Machlechus, Reb Yitzhak Rubenstein, and it's very simple. Reb Yitzhak Rubenstein was saved at the last minute from the Holocaust. He wound up in America, a non-quota immigrant visa, and he wound up teaching at 186th Street and Amsterdam Avenue. He was Rosh Yeshiva, NYU, till he died a few years later Chief Rabbi of Vilna, one of the Russian yeshiva in Yeshivat Rabbeinu Yitzchak Elchanan. Now, there's a, a second side to the story which I can't vouch for. But some of the old timers told me that he regretted the Machloikis with Rabbi Chaim I don't know. But it's sad that we fall into positions, we fall into situations where machlekes is inevitable. And here you have Rav Yitzchak Rubenstein at Ritz. Ritz, where every other Russian yeshiva stood in awe of Rav Chaim the Achiezer. Talmud Chaver of Reb Chaim Salavechik, Reb Moshe's father. And yet, they live B'Shalom U'V'Shalva. And I'm only curious if there are any descendants of Reb Yitzchak Rubinstein who survived, who remain B'nai Torah, who are part of the greater Torah scene. If anyone listening has any knowledge I'll be happy to hear about it. Let me go one step further and end off today's introductory lecture about the Gra. There's one other part to the Gra's life that affects us into this very moment. And this too 
we have no record in the newspapers. But we do know that before 18, before, excuse me, 1783, we don't know the exact year. By the way, a doctorate was done at Hebrew U or Barilan on this very topic. The Gra attempted to go and Aliyah. He set out. He left home. He wandered. It seems his mission was to go through Poland to Germany to Hamburg to take a boat to wind up in Turkey and from there on to Israel. He never got out of the border of Eastern Europe according to the reports and accounts. He turned back. He came home. Charlie, how do you know for sure that this happened? Are you familiar with a little essay called Alim Le Trufa Leaves That Hill. Yes, see, if Tova went to Beis Yaakov, she was taught this essay. She didn't. Well, if she went to Central or Flatbush or Elizabeth Rurial, I don't know, maybe in Rurial they did teach her because some of the teachers were from Lakewood. This was a letter, an epistle, that the Gom wrote to his wife before he left. You'll see why in a minute they would not teach this in Central. But my teacher in Beis Yaakov wrote to his wife, don't worry about money, teach the children to manage with the minimum Spare money on daily expenses, not on a good Muhammad for our sons. Get the top Muhammadan, pay the top price. Discourage our daughters from going to shul on Shabbat. They go to shul. They want fancy clothes, fancy dresses. Sounds familiar? Have you gone to a young Israel on Rosh Hashanah, Yom Kippur? Wow. Pesach? New clothes, new dress, new suit, new everything. He discourages his wife. More than that, what do they do in shul? The women gossip. Keep them away from the shul. They can daven with kavana in the home. Elliot, can you understand? A girl who got up in central, I don't gossip in shul. I daven. I don't drive my father crazy about expensive clothes. I'm happy to dress decently, but in a moderate fashion. I know my wife's and daughters, that was the greatest thing Shabbos morning, 
I always davened Hashkama. I came home, made Kiddush at eight. They beat it out to shul. And I had the next two, three hours just to learn. No phones, no one to interrupt. Wow. But this was the Vilna Gaon. It's a very fascinating document. And it shows the Gaon down to earth, down to life. Splash on the boys' education. Keep the girls at home from school. A girl got up at Stern College and asked President Berman, do you believe in the Golden's pistol? Why can't I have a good education like my brother? Why didn't the going right splurge on the girl's education as a man? And Mark, the answer is very simple. It's the world in which they lived at that time. Girls got married at 14. At 16, you were an old maid. There was no time for education. I had a kasha. Had it churned the butter, kasha the chickens, etc. Today we're living in a different world. The girls are supporting us. Yehuda Dove, what does your wife do? What? Why can't he? Computer science. No, he doesn't have to work a day in his life. Computer science. No wonder he has time to come to the Rebbe's shear and hear the Rebbe's jokes. Follow me, Mark. It's a different world today. I go to doctors. They're my female students from Michwala. And they're great doctors. Don't misunderstand me. No one is as good as them. It's a different world, Kenny. So please, don't quote Alam the Trufah for the year 2024. But quote it, quote it for 1878. Okay. Let me end off as Yomo will agree. And when he agrees with me, that pension Gaimel. Gaimel, the Gaon came home, came back. There are so many different theories why the Gaon returned. I could entertain you for the next hour what I heard from the Rub and what I read here. Whatever. Gentlemen, I'll give you a source next week. His children asked him, Father, Abba. What went wrong? Why did you come back? And they go and answered, Ikvuni min God stopped me. Just as they stopped me from building a golem, he stopped me from building, from reaching Eretz Yisrael. Turned back, opened his Gemara, never reached his head again, never looked out of it, and never asked, answer the question. But what does remain and what affects us until this moment, Aliyah, Eretz Yisrael, was central to the Gaon's thinking. Read the doctorate on this part of his life by Morgenstern. Fabulous doctorate. Eretz Yisrael remained Focal, central to the goal, late of Russian. His top Talmidim came on Aliyah, and there isn't an old Yerushalmi, 
and many in B'nai Brak who aren't related to Talmidim of the Gra. Ruby Rivlin was president of the State of Israel, a direct descendant of Talmidei Hakra. Rab Shlomo Zaman Orbach, Posek Mufak, a direct descendant of Talmidei Hakra. Minachim Parish, Chavek Knesset from time immemorial, a son today, Mayor Parish, direct descendant of Talmidei Hakra. You can go to some of the Havre Knesset, some of the heads of the Jewish agency, some of the great entertainers, personalities, show people in Israel, some from and some who one day will return and embrace the Torah heart and soul. All direct descendants of Talmidei Hakra. Who was the rabbi of Rehovot when you got there, Charlie? <coughs> no, what's Bashkul's real name? He was a Gonadir Shaulson, direct descendant of Tamide Hakra. Where do I live? Kiyat Shmuel, who organized the neighborhood of Etnga with an iron, direct descendant of Talmidei Hakra. You can go on and on. A milkman who was bucking in Shas. That was Rav Ettinger. Wow. My dear students, today was a little bit of an introduction to the life of the Gra. I have to give you sources yet and I have to make why you dance before you rise. But we wouldn't be sitting here if not for the Gra changed the world of learning, gives birth to so many yeshivat, all the way down to Eitzchayim, out of which YU grew 1886 Eitzchayim, YU Tzchalchanen 1897, Merger 1915, Talmudical Academy 1916, Yeshiva College 1928. But Eretz Yisrael, Ashkenazim, Talmidei Hagra. Do you know that every 25 years they used to have a reunion? They can't have it anymore because there's so many descendants. They, they would need Yankee Stadium to have a reunion. The last reunion was in the mid-70s, was in Binyanei Huma, overflowing onto the street. All right, this was the Graharich Israel, general studies, Hatmada, lack of sleep, the Cloys, the Bergola, the Machlekes over of Shmuel, no chief rabbi, Rav Yitzchak Rubinstein, and Rav Chaim Moise Rav Yitzhak Rubenstein at Amsterdam Avenue and 186th Street. My dear students sitting in front of me, first of all, I want to thank you for honoring me with your presence. It's not easy today, but uh, we got to listen to Rakefet's Shir of a few weeks ago. We got to live as normally as we can. 
I felt so bad talking to my grandsons yesterday. I mean, leaving their wives, their children. And the army's not big enough. And I know inside stories already, we need more tanks, uh, more to it. I hope we'll solve the problem when we reconvene as a normal people after the nightmare ends. And anyone here who has not served in the army and you're the proper age, run and enlist as fast as you can to do the greatest mitzvah of this moment of Muhammad mitzvah. I never yet found a source that exempts people in the five towns, Teaneck, Beverly Hills, Toronto, Lakewood. I haven't found a source. If anyone finds it, let me know. Next Sunday we pick up with a very sad topic, but a topic that will involve us for a good number of weeks. Open up new sources to you. Beating the heck out of a kid in school. Corporal punishment. Terrible family situations. Informing the police. Messira. Why you will also be involved in these lectures. Any questions until we meet again in health and happiness? Thus for Danya Yomo opening up to the world so I can help all the intelligent people staring at me. Yes, David. I did have a question uh, about the Grav. Was he planning to have his wife join him once he made Ali? No, 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 no. He's making Ali alone. His wife was back with the kids. In those days, you didn't take a woman to Israel. It was a terrible journey, dangerous. You waited till you were a little older, you finished having children, and now's the time to go. Now, you're talking modern terminology when they went to America and they saved up money to bring the wife, but then there were boats. It was steerage passage. It was the norm. But go back 200 years? No. Didn't Balsham just take his daughter? To Eretz Yisrael, as far, as far as I know, in in black and white language, the Baal Shem Tov never set foot in Eretz Yisrael. Right, that's the story. He never, he didn't get, it, but he got close. But he, but he I, if he, it, if he, he took, took his, his wife, Kola Kavod, not his wife, his daughter, his daughter. Uh, maybe she was young enough to stand up under the hardships. Yes, you yes. You say you want to put the chayim chasidim for not sitting in the sukkah shmini at service. Right. What about the Ashkenazim who? who late at night on Simchas Torah and don't write, have the same laning that says in the Gemara you should read on, on, on Shemini Atzeris. Uh, what about putting them in Chirim? Uh, I'll, I'll tell you, the Simchas Torah and the laning and all that goes on, it's all against Talachim. No, so Entire volumes have been written on it. Atzeret, I told you, Ari yeah, is no, a classic no. volume. Rakefit finally says, Fuk Hazimai and in Lonevihim, Benenevihim, Hem. And on Simchas Torah, I have to tell you, I take an Aliyah, even though it's after five Aliyah, then what can I tell you? This year it fell on Shabbos, so we had seven Aliyah. But what can I tell you? I don't lay in Simchas Torah night. That much I don't do, because I know what went on in World War II when they dealt with the problem of their fighting, and they didn't fight by night, only by day, could they lay in the Torah Friday night? And the final answer was yes, but without brachat. So, to lay in, pavakasha, 
but to make brachot, I'm not no, big no. enough, strong no, no, enough. But all right, you're right, you're right. Accept it. Tell it to Reuven Vinegar. Okay, I'll pay you life insurance. Uh, Steve Bressler, how do you feel? Steve, better? Wait, I can't hear. Unmute, unmute everybody. One second, one second. Are you unmuted? Can Steve speak? Boy, these modern contraptions blow your mind. No, no, he can. You, Steve, can you speak? No, oh, we, we don't hear. We don't hear. He needs to unmute. You have to unmute. All right. Let, let, go, go. Are there any questions? Let's see if anyone has a question. We have to clear out of the room. Can I stop recording? Uh, uh, there are no questions. So let me thank everyone for participating. Can you hear now? Yes, can you we. Hear now? Yes, we hear you. How do you feel? Much, much better. I, ah, thank you. I couldn't you. go to America to see my family, but that's Hashem's way. Maybe okay. in a couple of months. Okay, keep here and keep as calm as you can keep, and Hashem, you should have all your strength back. My grandson, by the way, who always asked about Kobe, he's in Gaza now. Right, no, everyone is in Gaza. I have four... So, I have four grandchildren. Sure everything should be well. Right. Sure but, they're, right. but they're finding in Lebanon too. I, I, I can't reveal my, what my grandchildren told yeah, me. Yeah, well, originally he, was, originally he was up in Lebanon. And then they sent him to the area. And now that he's in Gaza for a couple of weeks already. Okay, God should watch over him. We, we, okay, um, Malka will be very happy. She asked me how you're doing on it. Tell her you feel. Night. Amen. Amen. Okay. Yoshua, do me a favor. Don't send me any more apicursus. I can't handle it. It is beyond comprehension that someone in Mir can speak like that. I can't. I don't even want to quote it. The chayal, it's unbelievable. All right, there are going to be changes, but we got to wait until the nightmare ends. Okay, until we meet again and help them. Well, make sure, Rebbe, that next time I send it, I'll put it in the subject, only if you want your blood pressure to go up. It's not okay. appropriate. It's beyond words. I mean, to, to say that about the chayalim, and he learns the mirror, Chaim Shmulevitz was Rosh Yeshiva. I don't know how the students tolerate it. That's beyond me. But by the way, in America, what you sent me from the uh, 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 that uh, website, uh, I, I can confirm that that a lot of the Augustum of Augustum are furious, and there's going to be a very strong message. Either we're walking out of Aguda, or you have to get the Lake with Abdu Moetzet Gedolei Hatorah. All right. Until we meet again in health and happiness, and I want to thank Jack for all his help. Das Vidanya.